So let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you've been scammed? Uh, maybe you got involved in some deal or some relationship. Um, maybe, maybe you purchased some item or, or you joined some organization and, and you found out later that the deal that you got involved in wasn't quite the deal you thought. In fact, in the end, you just feel like you got a raw deal or, or maybe you got involved in some relationship and, and it wasn't the person or the people you thought they were and, and, and all you want is out. Or maybe you gave your name to some organization because you thought they represented what you represent and you find out they didn't and all you want is your name off the list. Maybe you purchase something and, and you find out that it's not what the fine print said or uh, what the picture looked like and all you want is your money back. I think all of us at one point or another have a, a, at least felt like maybe we've been deceived, maybe we've been scammed a little bit. One of the things that I appreciate about the scriptures is this. God doesn't scam us. In fact, when you open the Bible, you don't have to wonder what God's up to. You don't have to read between the lines or, or look for the small print or, or be mindful that maybe there's some bait and switch here. God is very, very clear about what he's up to, what's going on, what he's doing in the world, what he's doing in our lives, what he wants to do in our lives. And yet, there are times we can open up the Bible and we can be reading it and it can all be according to what we think and believe and boom. We come across some passage of scripture and it looks like God just took a, a, a U-turn. It looks like he just changed the deal somewhat. He... he added something or subtracted something or confused something. This morning, we're going to continue on uh, the series I began a, a few months ago called um, God, What Did You Mean By That? Looking at those passages of Scripture that kind of catch us off guard, that, that make us think, wait a minute, this doesn't seem congruent with who I know God to be. Um, it seems like he's changed the deal. That what I thought I was signing up for doesn't seem like the same thing. We're going to look at a passage uh, this morning from John's gospel that, um, that's a pretty prominent passage. And it's one that not only catches any, any reader who's reading it, but it's, it's one that the church has struggled with itself. John chapter 6, verse 53, and by all means, if you have your Bibles, it's the best way to follow along. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh 
and drinks my blood has eternal life. Yeah, it can't really mean that. But he goes on and says, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 and this is coming from people who, in the time of Jesus, they were living in a Roman culture that was used to all kinds of messed up, depraved stuff with all sorts of uh, cultic worship going on. And even when Jesus said this, they said, this is hard stuff. I mean, eating someone's body and drinking someone's blood, I mean, it, it, is that what it takes to be part of this group? It's a tough passage. When you read it and you take the Bible literally and Jesus is saying, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink, what do you do with that? In fact, it's one that the church has struggled with. Uh, in fact, that's where in the Catholic Church they have what's called uh, transubstantiation, the belief that, that in communion that wafer is really the body of Christ and the wine is really the blood of Christ. But is that what Jesus meant? Is that what he was talking about? I mean, he didn't say this as he was engaging in communion. So what's the deal? I want to share with you a principle because part of what I want to do in this series is to get us to think about how to look at the scriptures, especially when we look and we find ourselves troubled. So I want to give you a quick principle, and the principle is this. Whenever we have a problem with what God says, it is because we have a problem with what God has said. Whenever we have a problem with what God says, it's because we've had a problem with what God has said. In other words, we haven't fully grasped what he's said in the past, and that's why we struggle with what we find him saying to us in the present in his word. Let me demonstrate. Let me back up. When we go back to the beginning of chapter 6, what we find is Jesus performing the miracle of the fish and loaves. When he gathered together to preach and people came to listen to him and it was getting late and there wasn't enough food and so the only food around was some buddy's little bag lunch with a few fish and, and, and a few loaves. And, and Jesus took those fish and loaves, had them distributed and it fed everyone in the crowd. What we're told afterwards is after he did that, people began to follow him. 
I mean, they flocked to follow him. They flocked to follow him because they've never seen anything like this before. We read in verse, and I'll put this up here, verse 16, after the people, is that the right one? Mm, nope, back up, I don't have it up there, sorry, so I'll read it to you. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, what was going on? Jesus fed them to take care of them. And all they got from the lesson was this. This guy is like God, no guy we've seen before. This guy is the guy who should be our king. He's the one who should lead us to throw off the Romans and give us back our country. That's all that they got that day when they heard Jesus teach. I can tell you, I've experienced that. Not quite like that. <laughs> but I have preached sermons, and in the beginning, I'll give some silly illustration about maybe uh, my dog or, or, or somebody else's pet or or whatever. And then I'll bring it to the point of the scripture and expound it and show the power and the glory of God's love. And as people are walking out the door, shaking my hand, saying goodbye, they say, I had a dog like that. And I'm like, yeah, kidding me. That's what you're walking away from is the dog story? It, it's just, they don't hear what you're saying because they didn't hear what you said. The next day, they catch up with him. And we read in verse 26, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, we read this. Then they asked him, what must we do, what must we do to do the works God requires? All right, you, you, gotta, you gotta stay with me on this, okay? So he goes, he feeds them. They think he'd make a great king. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a servant under a king who can just make food appear like this? Who can be the expediter of all of our dreams? I mean, who doesn't want a king like that? And Jesus confronts them and says, look, I, I, I know why you're following me. You're just looking for a free meal. And then the next thing they say to him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus had already preached to them the love of God. 
He had already shared with them God's forgiveness for their sins. The open invitation to his grace. And they still, they didn't, they didn't get it. They didn't hear it. So even as he's talking to them, they say, okay, all right, all right we got that, Jesus. Well, what must we do to do the works that God requires? They're living in this distorted viewpoint. Um, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. They want to know what work do we have to do to earn eternal life. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus came into the world because everybody was failing. He came into the world because no one was out without sin and everyone was condemned to hell. And he came into the world to do what they couldn't do. And the first thing they ask him is, okay, so tell us what to do. You who can make uh, fish and loaves multiply, tell us what we can do to have eternal life. They were living in this mentality where you just check the boxes. You just, you take the course. Uh, you, you fill the requirements out and, and you add that to your life. And Jesus said, you haven't been listening. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. Listen to how they respond. So they asked him, verse 30, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Another distortion. They go right back to, okay, well, give us another sign. Give us, you know, you know what I really sh probably should say? Jesus, give us another hint. He just told them, all you have to do is believe in me. But they can't grasp it. Why? Because their way of thinking is distorted. What they've believed in the past has been wrong, and it's colored what's going on in the fusion. What's a distortion? A faulty belief that confounds direction and corrupts desires a faulty belief that confounds direction and corrupts desires if we distort what's true we're going to go down the wrong road if we distort what's true we're going to desire the wrong things that's why when you listen to these guys it's easy to look at them and say well you guys don't get it but we do it every day. We distort things. We look at what we want and the direction that we're really kind of going in. And, and we want to find out how we can get God to bend in that direction.
Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who had given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives the true bread that is from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And they don't get it. He feeds them in order to sustain them to hear him, and they don't hear him. And, and now they come, and they're questioning, and, and nothing's, nothing's clicking. Why? What was their distortion? Their distortion is this. You must do something physical to receive something spiritual. You must do something physical to receive something spiritual. Now just track with me for a minute. Because their mindset isn't really about God. Their mindset is a mindset you and I have all week long, right? We go to work. We work, our, bo our boss gives us a check. We go home, we plant flowers, and we water, and they grow, and if we negle neglect them, they don't. But it's a very physical world where we bring something, and then something happens. And that's not what Jesus is telling them at all. Jesus is trying to introduce them to something greater than that. Jesus is trying to tell them, you submit to the supernatural to receive something eternal. That God did not just create you to sow and reap in this world and to gather physical things. Because what is physical is temporal. And only what is spiritual is eternal. And so they just believe, well, if we do something, tell us what to do that we might get. And Jesus said, there is no doing. There's just believing. Okay. So that brings us back to verse 53. That brings us back to Jesus says, I truly tell you, you must eat of my body and drink of my blood if you're going to have eternal life. You know what he was saying to them? He was saying to them this, listen, I must be as real to you as a hamburger. I must be as real to you as a hamburger. I don't know who created the hamburger. Frankly, I was thinking about this week. I thought, God, I wish I'd done that. No matter how you, whatever I screwed up after that, it doesn't matter. I created the hamburger. I mean, who can hate that? 
Because when you're hungry and you're by McDonald's, you know they have what you need. You know what a hamburger will do for you. You know what a cheeseburger will do for you. In fact, I'd even have gone for that, the guy who added the cheese to the hamburger. Jesus is saying this. If you want life, I have to be as real to you as a hamburger. If you want eternal life, you have got to believe that I can feed you like this world can't feed you. You have to believe in me and trust in me just like you would a glass of water if you were dying of thirst. Here's a key point I want us to take away this morning. A little of God will just equal or lead to a little God that brings a lot of trouble. A little of God leads to a little God and a lot of trouble. Why? Well, for one thing, God isn't little. So when you're living a life that you're, you're doing what you want, you're being fed from the world as you want to be fed, and you think, you know, I, I really want this thing, so maybe it's time to, to, to call on God, you know, to pull out all the stops. You, know, you, ever, you ever hear those movies where, uh, those, or see those movies where there's disaster, right? You know, a, a meteor is about to hit the world and everything, and they say, well, if you believe in prayer, now's the time to start praying. Well, that's how people think. Last resort, go to God. Why? Because we have a little God. We don't depend on him. We don't feed from him. We believe you got to do something physical, you're going to receive something material, and then wonder why it feels so temporal and doesn't satisfy. When you go looking just for a little bit of God, you only get a little God. And the problem with that is this. God is not little. God won't let you make him little. When you try to make him little, he won't respond like that. When you are living your life going down the wrong road and then praying to God that he'll bless the wrong things, he won't. And then you'll just believe God isn't that big because I asked and he didn't. I wanted, but he didn't show up. 
And so your little God will become littler. And you'll just keep going down the wrong road believing you have to do to receive. And God doesn't, can't, won't bless that. But here's the thing. If you're willing to partake of Jesus, if you're willing to, to go to him every day, looking to be fed, looking for direction, looking for the fulfillment of your desires, he'll fill you. The truth is this, if, if, if I pursue the supernatural and the temporal, God will not only give me the temporal, but he'll give me the eternal. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other, and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. But seek ye first, not last. Because God won't be made little because he's not a little God. God loves us enough to not let that happen. If we're willing to partake, if we're willing to eat of his body and drink of his blood, if we're willing to go to him, he'll build strong spirits in us. Spirits that are intimate and engaged with him, spirits that become stronger. Spiritually, we will become more than what we are physically. Build strong spirits. God will build within us strong characters. I want to share with you a book I've been reading lately called uh, How Do We Get Here From There? And I love what he says about character. Poor character is more often the result of things that don't happen in a person's life that really need to happen if they're to develop integrity. And even more, it is a result of toxic beliefs and attitudes that individuals form. What and how we think is important. What we're taught to value matters too, especially how we value those things that we don't understand. He goes on and says, those who have learned to think about themselves and the world around them both in a positive and principled way often develop the kind of character that allows them to remain decent even in the face of adversity. Character can be likened to a psychological immune system because it insulates a person against the slings and arrows and the many negative influences which we need if we are to make the world a better place. Now this is a secular guy talking, but he nailed it. Character is a psychological immune system that will protect us against the slings and arrows of this world. But only real character can come from God. There's not a work you can do to get it. You don't get it that way. You get it by partaking of Christ because 
when I partake of Christ, I, I realize I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. Strong spirit, strong character, strong lives that make an impact and a difference in this world. You see, the, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. When are we going to get to it? When are we really going to get to it? When are we really going to partake and make Christ our all and all? When are we going to really believe in a big God and want a big God to direct our lives and bring about great things? We've got to ask ourselves that question every day because we live in a physical world, a material world that says if you do something physical, you'll get something material and you'll have a good day. But it's all temporal. And the truth is there are no guarantees no matter what you do. But if you submit yourself to what's supernatural, God will give you what's eternal, which means now and forever. But you got to believe it, just like you believe a hamburger or a cold glass of water on a hot day. You've got to believe that only God has what you need. And if you do, you'll never feel deceived or ripped off because God will give you the mind of Christ. You'll never walk around with distortions heading in the wrong direction with the wrong desires. You'll never feel alone or abandoned in this world because those who partake of Christ receive abundant and eternal life in him. We read a little bit later in the passage that the crowd's fallen, can't handle it, and they leave. They just leave. And Jesus says to Peter, so are you guys going to leave too? And Peter says, where else can we go for the words of life? It's only in Christ. It's only in the power of his love that we have life to live, to speak, and to give. Let's pray.